0: Hi, friends, and welcome to another RobCast. Uh, This is RobCast 94, and it's part three of the series I'm doing called Learning to Lament. And uh, I'm walking through these five poems that are called the Lamentations, and they're in the middle of the Bible. If you're cruising through the Bible, you just skip right over them probably. They're just a couple of pages. And if you did start reading them, your first thought would probably be, oh, my word, this is so depressing. (laughs) This is so sad and kind of uh, incoherent, like what is it even about? Um, but then what's interesting is if you, you go just below the surface, there's this whole world of insight and truth about pain, loss, suffering, and heartbreak. And, um, when I first realized just how much is going on in Lamentations, honestly, it is so shaped how I see the world. Um, and it's so mysterious, the God character, the God in the poems is sort of on trial. There's a lot of um, hurt and wound towards, towards God. God doesn't really show up or speak. Um, the one character who does sort of have this, hey, God's all right, then sort of later, it's like, maybe not. Um, it's this very mysterious, deeply felt, almost like dirge about the destruction of the city of Jerusalem. Um, so city of Jerusalem was destroyed somewhere around the year 500. A number of people were hauled off to Babylon. There were some survivors and it's in the rubble of the survival that you, we have these five poems. And, uh, so before we get into it, I should just say, I've been playing phone tag with this friend of mine for a couple of days now and just now, um, I just been driving home from surfing, we finally connected. You know that thing where you've been playing phone tag and you're finally like, oh, there, now we're talking live to each other. And then she told me about a beloved friend of hers who's a friend of mine who they just found out has a golf ball-sized tumor. Um, I believe it's in her, in her liver and it's not looking good like uh, they're getting the diagnosis today but it looks like it's some serious late stage cancer um and so one of the reasons why um I had just called to say hi but then she we had been doing this phone tag and she's like I'm so glad that out of nowhere you called because this past week and leading up to today's diagnosis um has been obviously just gut-wrenching and um so we were talking about the shock of what would life be like without this beloved friend of hers and mine. Um, what Like trying to imagine if she, she was gone because she, I mean, it, literally it could be um, just a brief time here because her uh, the, the cancer is pretty serious. Um, and so it was so interesting to be driving home in shock coming home to do this podcast about shock and uh there there this episode then uh, it's called she's finding her voice and i want to show you why i've called it that and then we're just going to explore a, a, f- for a bit about the nature of shock um because part of suffering pain loss and heartache is is that feeling when you can't believe this is happening um and you just sometimes you find yourself just repeating it i can't believe this is happening Um, so here's, what's interesting. The poems are arranged in a very specific way. So it isn't just the content of the lines of, um, Lamentations. It's the way that the poet arranged who says what, because there's these three characters. There's a narrator and then there's this woman and there's a man. The man doesn't show up till later, uh, poem three, so poems one and two are just a narrator, and at first all you get is the narrator's voice, and the narrator just reports on how bad it is. Um, the city is deserted. She's been overcome. Uh, the enemy laid hands on all her treasures. All her people groan. I mean, the narrator just brings this very um, almost like reporting. Here's how bad it is. Here's how terrible it's gotten. Uh, The reporter just uses image after image to describe how deep and thorough the devastation has been. And we don't hear from the woman until the last part of the ninth verse. So the narrator speaks straight for the first nine verses, and then at the end of the ninth verse... Um, And in the English, all you get are quote marks, which is sort of the translator's attempt to show you that this is a, a different voice. But the woman doesn't speak until the end of the ninth verse. And then, so the narrator says, her fall was astounding. There was none to comfort her. And then you get this one line from the woman, look, Lord, on my affliction, for the enemy has triumphed that's all you get from her. And then it goes right back to the narrator. Then the narrator goes on and on. The enemy laid hands on all her treasures. She saw pagan nations enter her sanctuary. That The narrator just goes on and on. And then at the end of 11, the woman speaks again and you get, look, Lord, and consider for I am despised. Is it nothing to you, all you who pass by? So at first, it's like a prayer. Then she turns to the people around her. Is it nothing to you, all you who pass by? Look around and see. And then, so there's a little bit more from her. And then she says, from on high, he sent fire, sent it down into my bones. Uh, He spread a net for my feet and turned me back. So she's blaming God. And she she just unleashes from on high God sent fire Uh, for his hand, by his hands. uh, She talks about being bound, um, something hung on her neck, how God has sapped her strength. Um, The Lord has rejected all the warriors in my midst. I mean, she just goes on and on. Then you have the narrator speaks, and then by verse 18, she just takes over the poem, and then it just comes, see Lord how distressed and by the way, notice the first time she speaks she says look and then the second time she says look and then she says look and consider, then she says look around and see and then she says see Lord how distressed, tomorrow we're going to spend the next episode will be all about this, why is the first thing second thing, third thing, fourth thing she says look, 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 see and there is something there that will take us a whole episode to unpack because it's uh, so profound and helpful. But right now we have to do something else. We'll come back to this later, why she says look. But what's really interesting is at first she doesn't even speak. Her voice is nowhere to be found. Then she comes and speaks, but it's just one line, and then she's out. Then a little while later, another line. She says a little bit more, then she stops. And then by the third time she speaks, she takes over the rest of the first poem, and she goes and goes and goes. So first time a little, just a a line. Second time a little bit more. Third time a little bit more. What is the poet doing here? Um, There are 22 verses in each of these poems. Um, There are 22 verses in the Hebrew alphabet, and so each verse corresponds to a letter of the alphabet. There's something really brilliant going on here. The fourth poem actually is 66 verses, so it's... 22 times 3, it's tripled the intensity. So we'll see later, we'll spend an episode just working through how the way the Hebrew words are arranged is actually part of the meaning. It isn't just what they're saying, it's how it's arranged. But right here, what's important to see is that the poem is arranged how it works when you're in pain. Because here's the thing, it takes a while for her to find her voice. At first... She doesn't have anything to say. It's all the narrator. And then she musters up just this little line. It's almost like feeble. Uh, It's almost like she just barely ekes it out. You know, look, Lord, on my affliction for the enemy is triumphed. And then she shuts up. Um, And then a little later, she opens up a little more. uh, And then it's like she kind of begins to find her groove. And then she just... uh, she just opens up and doesn't stop. Uh, why does it take her a while to find her voice? Uh, it takes her a while to find her voice because she's in shock. And when you're in shock, sometimes you have no idea what to say. Uh, when you're in shock, sometimes all you have is silence. We live in a world that's not comfortable with silence. We, we live in a world that wants to fill silence with words uh, and volume and noise uh, because silence can be terrifying. Have you ever been over to somebody's house and they have TVs in every room or they have multiple TVs on or they have the TV on and it's loud or they have the TV on to some show where you're like, why in the world would you have this show on? Have you ever noticed that? Um, and, and, and a part of you realizes, wait, this TV is on Just so there won't be silence. Um, we, We live in a world that doesn't know what to do with silence. But sometimes silence and the silence of shock is the only proper response to the thing that you've been through. And oftentimes we have this compulsion, like we're supposed to say something, but sometimes you don't have anything to say. And the power of the first poem is that for a while, the woman doesn't, the city doesn't have anything to say. She's speechless. Uh, so, So sometimes silence is the only proper response. Secondly, shock is normal. Shock is totally normal. And... When you're in shock and you find yourself thinking, well, I probably should say something. Um, no, you don't need to say anything. You can just be in shock. Uh, you know, in the, in the Jewish tradition, they have a practice called sitting Shiva. And when somebody you know loses somebody that they love, you go over to their house and you sit Shiva with them. You sit in silence with them. And that's how you honor their loss. And if they want to talk, then you gladly talk. Otherwise, you don't need to fill the space with words because some pain is bigger than words. Some suffering can't be captured in a sentence. And so to lament is to name the pain, is to expose the conditions that are in the way of human thriving. The past couple episodes we've explored how the lament is the cry, it's the naming, it's shining the spotlight, it's dragging it up, it's giving words to it. But sometimes you aren't there yet. Um, Sometimes to lament is to acknowledge that you're in shock. And often with shock, it takes you a while to find your voice. And we're not even there yet. We may get there, it may take a while but right now we don't have words and that's okay. So lament is both the words and not words. Lament is both giving name to the pain and it's also the thing that happens before you even can name it when all you have is the experience and the agony and you aren't even ready to name it. I had uh, an experience. I was hurt by somebody I loved very much, Um, a beloved friend. This was a long time ago. I was hurt so badly. Um, I mean, I lost sleep for probably, I don't know, six months. Um, I would awake in the night in so much pain. It was heart pain. Um, uh, I realize now I was probably in shock for a year. Um, I realize now it was probably a year before... I could hear that person's name and it was like my whole body wouldn't just go numb. You know that feeling like you run into them um, or you hear their name or somebody tells you a story or you see something that reminds you of them and it like literally affects you physiologically. Uh, and It was actually in studying lamentations that I, and, and this exact insight about how the woman doesn't speak for a while and that shock is normal and it's actually sometimes the healthiest response if you did have something clever and articulate to say, something might be wrong with you. You're not actually dealing with how serious this is. Um, but it, it took me years later to realize, oh, I I was probably in shock for nine months, some low level. It's like you're going about your life, but also at some level, there's just this giant question mark somewhere in your soul. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It's like you're, you're paying the bills, you're going to work, you're doing your job, you're loving the people around you, but you also, there's a part of you that doesn't even have words for the devastation. Uh, You're just in that place. Um, So uh, first off, I want to talk about change, and then I want to talk about grieving in relation to shock. Um, What I've picked up on a number of people, um, and especially on this tour that I'm doing now where we have a whole day together, is a number of people are articulating something like this, almost like it's in the air, that they were raised with a particular understanding of the world, a, perce- a, a worldview, a perspective, oftentimes a faith, and that no longer works. And uh, so they find themselves navigating the modern world, but, but the lens, the filter, the perspective, the world, the spirituality that they were handed doesn't work anymore, and so they're having to leave behind... Um, Some things that once worked quite well, but don't longer work. Um, That's a form of loss. And whenever you lose something, there will probably be some grieving involved. And grieving can sometimes bring with it shock. Um, Maybe the authority figures who told you this is how it works, uh, it doesn't work like that anymore. Um, and so there is this loss of, I used to have people I look to, I used to have, excuse me, that feeling when you used to have people who like helped you navigate things, but they can't go with you to the next place you have to go. And sometimes it's the loss of stability. You used to know how the thing worked. You used to know up and down, left and right. You used to know when to go here, when to go there, red lights, green lights. You used to understand how the whole thing worked, and now it doesn't work like it used to. Sometimes it's a loss of friends, tribe, and security. Um, You have seen, and now you can't unsee. You have tasted um, a bigger, more expansive, inclusive view of the world. And the people that you started out with—friends, family, extended family, siblings, coworkers, people you uh, in your faith community—they haven't seen what you've seen, and so you have to keep going. But they're not coming with you. That's a loss. That's a death of sorts. So maybe it was a, maybe it was a loss of a job, um, divorce, which is the death. Um, divorce is essentially the a death except for the fact that the other person's still alive. Um, These are all loss, and loss has to be grieved. And oftentimes with grieving comes shock, Um, especially the loss of tribe. There were these friends and faithful companions, um, but they haven't come with you. Worse yet, some of them may think you've lost your mind. Um, That's a form of loss, and loss has to be grieved. And oftentimes grieving brings with it shock, shock. Uh, A number of people I've heard even just recently say, I don't know what I believe anymore. Um, Nothing makes any sense. I feel like the rug has been pulled out from under me. Um, That's all can bring with it grieving. Things used to work a certain way, and now they don't. Um, Maybe you found yourself thinking, I don't know what to think, or I have no idea what I believe about that anymore. Yeah, sure. That's a, that's loss, grief. And it may actually have shock in it. You may be in shock and it's okay. See, the power of the poem is the woman doesn't have anything to say, so she doesn't say anything. That's how the poet has constructed the poem. Sometimes you don't have anything to say. You're just in that space where you've left something but you haven't yet fully entered into the next thing all you know is you can't do that anymore and so you're in between you're in this liminal space and sometimes there's an element of 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 shock in there because it's loss and loss has to be grieved Um, sometimes people will say things like you know when that topic comes up i just draw a blank sure of course totally normal Other times people will say things like, you know what? I have all of these feelings. Um, There's a world of pain and hurt in there, but I don't even have words for it. Yep, totally normal. And then this one, which has been life-changing for me. Sometimes, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, you find yourself angry or you find yourself sad And you can't figure out why all of the sudden you're this angry or this sad. Um, Here's the thing. You may have been in shock and now the shock is wearing off and you're actually able to think about it in more clear ways and what you're realizing is you're angry. So sometimes what happens is somebody hurts us or we go through some trauma and we just bear down in order to survive it. And there's this element of shock where we're numb. We, we don't even know what to think about it. We're just, and then all of a sudden you find yourself really sad or really angry. And sometimes it's out of nowhere. Uh, it's probably because you were in shock all that time and now the shock is wearing off and now you're ready to speak. So what's interesting in the poems is the woman doesn't say much. And then the first thing she says is basically, um, look at my affliction. Then the second thing she says is, look, Lord, and consider that I'm despised. Then she moves from a prayer to God to looking around her. Is it nothing to you, all you who pass by? So at first she's just coming out of the shock and she's just, look, look, look. But then she unleashes. The reason why I bring all this up is when you live in a culture of denial, the natural reflex is just to stuff it all down there. And the problem when you stuff it all down there or as you do the polite thing or you sort of wear the happy face or you don't talk about it because that's, we don't talk about that here. Um, What can often happens is all of those things are down in there and then they come out down the road at the strangest times. They come out, uh, as I talked about earlier, somebody famous dies, and all of a sudden you realize you're grieving way more than just that person you never met dying. That's because it was down in there. And sometimes what happens is the loss, the trauma, the heartache, whatever it was, it was so devastating, you sort of shut down, and you've been numb, and now you're starting to feel again. And one of the ways this most came to life for me is as I began to see all of this and see my own patterns of denial. Um, And if you understand the Enneagram, which is this way of understanding personality, I'm a seven, so denial is my drug of choice. We should probably do a whole Robcast on the Enneagram or 20 of them. But anyway, uh, a real breakthrough in my own path was coming to see that denial was my drug of choice. Whatever you do, just keep going, just keep smiling, just be positive, hey, we're gonna change the world you know what I mean? Just be upbeat and just keep telling great stories. And I learned that I had this pattern. I just, whenever it got painful, I just kept going. And when I began to slow down and when I began to feel, especially the negative things, sorrow, loss, betrayal, anger, um, I would have stuff come out of nowhere. And Kristen sometimes would say, uh, are you grieving something? And I'd be like, what? Me grieving? Everything's great. Look at us. Good news. Here we go. She'd be like, no, seriously, are you grieving something? And what's interesting is if I would sit with it, how often I'd be like, oh, my word, I am. And I would think about some event that I, it was too painful, so I just kept going. And then later, it would sort of show itself. So, shock is normal. Silence is normal. Sometimes in shock, there are no words, and so you just honor it with no words. Sometimes your friend is in shock, and so the way that you be a friend to them is you do not charge in with words, you charge in with silence. How's that for a sentence? You charge in with silence. Maybe sometimes you simply say to your friend, you know what, there, I can only imagine what you're going through, there can't be words for that. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to show up and be here with you. Um, and I'm going to sit in the shock with you. Yeah, that's how it works. That's how it works, my friend. We are learning to lament, which means we are coming to see that shock is totally normal. That, my friends, is part three. Now what we're going to do in the next episode is I'm going to take this idea, this fact that she keeps saying, look, look, look. Um, why does she say that? How does the narrator respond And what does this mean for how you and I uh, think about our own pain and more importantly, how we understand and interact with others when they're in pain. And um, when you see that, life changing for me. All right, that is part three, my friends, of learning to lament. Grace and peace.